Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. This is the GM Shuffle. Where's the art of team building? And I, and I think that's really what you have to judge is are we building the team in the right manner to where allow us to build a championship level? You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. Michael, you were out here in Las Vegas this past weekend. What yeah. was the favorite thing you did? Actually, the favorite thing I did is I went to go see Michael Bublé with Millie. And, I, I mean, it was incredible. Uh, you know, I, I didn't really know. I mean, I liked his Christmas stuff. But mm-hmm. the, the whole venue, the whole vibe over at the resort world was incredible. And, and he put on a hell of a show. And, you know, it was fun. Engaging with the, the audience. I think what I learned from watching him was how genuinely nice this guy. If this guy's an asshole, Femi, I'm going to be really <laughs> pissed off. Like, like, I left there thinking, man, this is a really cool guy. I mean, he's like a really good guy. You know, he's friendly, taking pictures with everybody, doing selfies, you know, kind of was going through the st- going through the crowd. It was great. I mean, it was a hell of a thing. And then the other thing was, you know, obviously meeting everybody was fun to mm-hmm. do that because I never get out there and be around all the the back, the technical people, the, the Miguel, the Kevins, all those people that I don't see on, on a daily basis. I hear, but I don't see. So that was fun. And then being able to see my son, obviously, and spend some time over at the Raiders. It was weird. I, I went to the Raiders facility. That, w- that was probably the weirdest thing of all. Yeah, I was going to say, you give us some little intel on what the Las Vegas Raiders are doing out there in Henderson. But, Michael, we live in a post-draft world now. And as oh always, for our for our listeners, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Tweet at Michael, at M. Lombardi NFL, at Femi Bebefe is where you can find me, producer Stephen Vaughn, as usual, on the ones and twos. And you said, oh, my gosh, what was your takeaway from this uh, weekend well, of the NFL draft? Well, the whole thing is backwards, right? So, like, the the whole grade thing is based on – it's all based – it's self-indulgent. It's based on what the person doing the grading thought. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like they're taking the test and they have all the answers, but they could be – they could be taking – they could be taking the wrong test. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're – it's all based on what – if you did something that they think is, is worthwhile to do, right? It, they yep. think – now – you know, like Malik Willis, they thought was worthwhile to pick in the sixth pick. Go through every mock. I mean, you know, all these guys had Malik Willis. I mean, for three, for for basically seven hours, you know, you saw Malik Willis is just the top rated player on Mel's board. I mean, so naturally, whoever took him was going to get an A plus plus, right? So these grades are are like they're so self indulgent and they're so wrong. Like, it's just based on what that guy thought. And there's margin for error. Look, nobody's perfect in picking players, me included, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody's perfect. But all of a sudden, these grades act like that's perfection. And what it does is it creates a narrative. It creates a false narrative at times. Because we never go back. Let's just think about the Raiders, right? So they trade Khalil Mack and get all those draft picks. When you put those draft picks in there, they got panned for the trade, didn't they? They were a great trade. Yeah. Get a great trade. Chicago paid a lot. The Raiders got some great pick. They didn't make any of them work. What's the grade on that draft? What's the grade on that trade now? Deep minus? F? I, I think, right? I think F because they didn't pick up any of those guys' fifth-year options. They had three first-round picks. They had the first-rounder for Amari Cooper that they got from Dallas Cowboys. None of those guys got their fifth-year option picked up this past week. No. So, like, that's all Fs. So, my point is, is, like, you can't really judge it. And, and, and if you picked – you know, if you pick Kurt, uh, Cole Strang too early from Tennessee Chattanooga, you got a D. You know, and and, and mm-hmm. in the write up, people say, well, you can, you know, I mean, why can't you attack Belichick? Sure, you can, you can say you disagree with the pick. That doesn't mean he's wrong, and that doesn't mean you're right. Just like me, you know, if I were Atlanta, I would have picked Drake London. I think that's the wrong pick. Do I like the player? I'm okay on the player. But I think in terms of team building, when I look at Atlanta's team, they got an A for the draft, by the way. You know, when I look at Atlanta's team, like, how are these guys going to ever – how are they going to ever win five games next year? Like, none of these players that they drafted are going to have an impact on their team, particularly on defense. I mean, particularly on defense. You know, they take a third-round outside linebacker. They take an inside linebacker. They take a second-round outside – I mean, like, who's going to stop the run? They were the, tw- they were the worst-run defense in all of football last year. 
Their defense, they gave up 400 and some points. Like, like how can they get an A when they did nothing to help their team in terms of building, a, building the franchise? Like, it makes no – that's to me is there's two separate issues. There's the player and then the building of the team. It's interesting because value is always the word that's tossed around, but value is in the eye of the beholder, as you're saying. Like, If you like this player as your 10th rated player on the board and they're available in the round three, you're going to give that pick an A versus if you think that player should be the 100th rated player and they're in round three, you're like, okay, that's like a B minus C plus type of value pick there. It's always in the eye of the beholder. And I get the grades from a process standpoint, but to an extent, like, you also have to get the results as well, and you really can't fully grade. You can grade the process, but you can't fully grade the pick until we get two to three years down the line here with these draft grades. Because, I mean, you mentioned it. The Baltimore Ravens, they're going to get their A every single year. I called their A before they even started. Like I <laughs> they didn't have to pick players. I called it. Oh, they got great. Everybody says they got great players, although Kyle Hamilton, can he play on the third level? I mean, you talk to people in the league that know – and they think the guy isn't in the box safety. That's in vogue. That's not even in play anymore. You know, so like, and they got an A because Kyle Hamilton was viewed as this great pick by everybody. Mm -hmm. But it, look, everyone's entitled to an opinion. I am not disputing that. Everyone's a scout. I'm not disputing that. You can do it. I think I have great respect for the guys that do all the work. They watch the tape. They write up all these players, you know, after the draft. I mean, they're writing columns. I, I, I respect all that. However, that doesn't mean they're right. Like, has anybody gone back and created a look at what their grades were as it translated? Like, for example, do you want it hit me on Sunday or Saturday? Maybe it was Friday. I was watching after you and I did our hit. I'm sitting there. Now I know why. They no, no network has anybody on the main desk that's actually done the job of drafting. You can say, well, Daniel Jeremiah was in the league. Yeah, Daniel Jeremiah was in the league. He was a area scout. He, scout he, he never ran a draft. He never organized a draft. He never led people. He never did any of that. I'm not dismissing Daniel Jeremiah. I think he's a wonderful person. I think he's great, and I think he's good at what he does. I'm not disputing that. I'm saying he's never had any authority. You say, well, Lewis Riddick did. No, no. Lewis Riddick's never made one draft selection in his life. He's never organized a draft or run a scouting department. Meanwhile, they got Scott Pioli sitting in the back over there and, and on NFL Network, and you don't even see him. He's run drafts. Like, but the mm. reason they don't put him on the desk is because <laughs> he could explain something that would dispute the people that they're trying to make into the experts. What we're getting in the coverage is we're getting – they're trying to make the people that are the mock drafters or whatever, they're trying to make them the experts. If you put an expert on there, it would dispute what they're saying. And so there, it's just a continuation of that. Well, I thought one thing that you tweeted out there, and it was, I believe, on Friday afternoon when a lot of people were talking about the quarterbacks dropping in this class, and you were saying that, hey, they're not dropping, and we've talked about it a number of times on this podcast for weeks now that the league doesn't see these quarterbacks as first-round caliber players. These are more second- and third-round guys, and we didn't even see a quarterback go in the second round. What did you make of that when you were watching on, at home there or in the hotel here in Vegas when you saw, hey, these quarterbacks keep falling. Like, what's going on with Ritter? What's going on with Willis? Why do they keep falling down the board? I, I, what I said to myself, you dumb shit, just pay attention. <laughs> just, just believe what you believe. Quit listening to all the other shit. Like, like I got trapped in, in, into this, into in the, the kid from Re Carson Strong from Reno, right? Yeah. I was told by somebody reliably that I trust that, you know, the Steelers, if they didn't go quarterback in the first round, they would pick, they would pick him in the second. I, and, and usually this person that told me that is really reliable when it comes to Pittsburgh. They didn't even pick him in the seventh. They yeah. didn't even pick him in. They picked another quarterback. So my point is, like, just trust your own evaluation because there's too much misinformation out there. Like, and I knew the quarterbacks were not any good. I don't care how many guys were. I mean, there was one draft expert from NFL Network that had five guys going in the first round, five quarterbacks going in the first. Like, how do you come back from that? Like, how do you, like, what are you saying to people? You had five going in the first round. Like, there was a time when that number was three and a half. And I kept yeah. saying it was, there's no way. Like, I'm just saying, to me, trust your eyes. You know, Red Arbeck had a saying, you know, do, you know, I get my information from looking, not from talking. I think that's true. Get, you know, and the draft is all talk. It's all talk. And, and there's bad information out there. And the evalu evaluate the evaluator. I mean, it comes back down to that. And I think the New England Patriots are kind of the perfect team to exemplify that and to show why – 
one one team likes to zig while the others may zag because you mentioned the Cole Strange draft pick. It got mocked on Thursday night. Everyone says, wow, why would you take Cole Strange in the first round? This is a third-round caliber guy. Even Les Snead and Sean McVay are laughing about it. But the Patriot way, that becomes a thing because they're willing to do the things that other teams are unwilling to do. They're willing to go left when most people are going right. Is that the read on this one? Because Belichick, he doesn't really regard the wisdom of the crowd. He's going to go off of his own specific board there. Yeah, and plus when he says, hey, look, I mean, he obviously had intel that somebody else liked Cole Strang. Strange. I mean, he had intel on that. So I, I, I don't, you know, he's not making it up. You know, like mm-hmm. one thing about Bill, nobody, I mean, I think the one thing you could say about Belichick is he appreciates value more than anything. I mean, he sat there and waited for Mac Jones. He wasn't going to trade away value for it, and yeah. he ended up getting them. So, look, does this mean that, that, that Strange is going to be a good player? I don't know. You know, I know that he did his homework on him, you know, that he did his due diligence and that he believed that somebody was going to take him sooner rather than later. And so he, he picked him. And, and, you know, I, it only t- everybody says, well, they picked him too early. It only takes one team. You know, it only takes one team mm-hmm. to like another guy. And, and what is the difference? I mean, we, we see it all the time. These guys that are supposed to be the slam dunk pick ends up not being the right pick. So. I'm not just I'm not I'm not making excuses for him, but I think he's done his homework. He's looked through it. And as you said, he he doesn't the guy's a four year starter. You know, there was a clip on I think Peter King's column today of him getting beat by the third round pick. It was a one on one pass rush drill. It was a one on one drill. Those drills always go in favor of the the defensive line. Rarely do those win. I mean, that's one play out of how many plays? I mean, seriously. That that's kind of unfair to create that narrative. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the detractors, and I think it's a fair criticism that will say that Belichick doesn't have the most sterling draft record. They've taken some shots. They've missed some, but everybody has missed some shots. I mean, the kill Harry in the first round, that's one that a lot of people will point to where they miss shot, especially with the other receivers that went after him in that draft. But that's the draft. It's the inexact science here. And the fact that I always tip my cap to people who are willing to, to do the uncomfortable thing, the people who are willing to kind of march to their own beat because I think that's ultimately how you win big. It's hard to win big when you're just following the masses there, in my opinion, at least. It's just, I I, I see where he's coming from when he kind of goes off of the beaten path, if you will. Right, and I mean, he th- he obviously spent time with the player. You know, he's he's worked out the guy. They, they've evaluated him athletically, and they feel like he can come in and start. I mean, if they felt like he's a starter at the 29th pick and they're going to get five years out of a starting offensive lineman, then, you know, then he's going to be worth the pick at a cheap number. Mm-hmm. And if he's an above-the-line starter and he can play guard, center, or tackle, he can play anywhere, then he gets above-the-line player. It, only time's going to tell who's right. It doesn't yeah. Today it doesn't mean that Mel's right or Todd McShay's right or Daniel or anybody's right or I'm right. It, it doesn't really matter. It matters how they play. Remember, it doesn't matter where we pick them because the picking is subjective. It's based on someone's value, who's created the value. Yep. I, I say this all – I told this to a head coach the other day, you know, and, and he was complaining about how everything gets topsy-turvy. And I said, here, usually what happens in drafts is from, from August until, until January, the draft is kind of controlled by the college scouting department and the college scouting directors, and they don't spend enough time watching pro football. They watch college football, and they do a good collected data on college. But once the pro football evaluators that understand the league get involved, that's when we start to see players move up and down the board. They're not moving up and down the board because they ran a great 40 or because somebody just they, – they actually are now being graded based on the league. They're being graded based on inside-out scouting, not outside-in. And if you want to be a great college scout, you got to learn the league. you got to spend as much time on pro football as you do on college. you got to spend all of May, June, July, all, every minute you have studying the league, what's playing in the league, studying the schemes of the league, studying how people use, utilize personnel – and then apply that when you go on the road. If you don't do that, you're just scouting out. And then all of a sudden, that's why players move. They don't move because of some subjective area. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know the league well enough, if you don't know, hey, this is what Kevin Stefanski wants in an offensive lineman, if you don't know what Bill Callahan would want, or you don't know what, what the scheme of the 34 defense, the way Pittsburgh run it is, how can you really fit, fit the player to that team? you you got to know that. We don't know who's going to be right. We don't know who's going to be wrong, but I do want your opinion on the other side. We're going to discuss who did well, who did not so well in the 2022 NFL Draft. 
The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Michael, we're not going to really hand out any draft grades because that's to be determined later on down the line, but I want you to almost explain to me who you thought did well this weekend based off of their team building and their process. So is there a team that immediately comes to mind when you think about that? Well, I like what the Giants did because I think when you, whenever you start rebuilding a franchise and you start with the offensive and defensive lines, I, I think that's the right play. I know that's not popular. I know everybody wants to draft receivers, but I think that's the right play. I mean, a, as opposed to the Jets, who take two good players, but to me, you know, the Jets run a lot of cover three. They're not a man-to-man mm-hmm. team. Maybe they'll change because of the corner that they selected, you know, in Sauce Gardner. And then they take another receiver. You know, they put all this money in Corey Davis. They drafted a receiver in the second. Now they got another receiver. Like, at some point, when are they going to fix their right tackle in George Fant? So, for me, I'm watching the teams that what I feel like utilize team building the effective way. What's the most important positions? What can't we afford to get in the open market? I mean, you're Atlanta. You've got a really bad team. You can't protect your quarterback. You've already lost one quarterback because he got sacked more than anybody. Meanwhile, you're still drafting receivers. Like, at some point, how are we going to get the ball to him? Like, where is the art of team building? And I, and I think that's really what you have to judge is are we building the team in the right manner to where allow us to build a championship level? We know we need a quarterback. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? So that's not hard to figure out. But all the other pieces have to kind of tie together to see what happens. And when you have a glaring hole at offensive line or when you get sacked as much as Atlanta quarterbacks have, you say, well, how do you do that? Well, you say, well, we drafted Lindstrom in the first round. We drafted McLeod McCary in the first round. We drafted Jake Matthews in the first round. We've spent a lot of resources, but they're not any good. Yep. Your, your quarterback's getting killed. So how do you, you know, just because you drafted them there, I think if you're a Giant fan, you have to rejoice that they didn't extend, they didn't pick up the fifth-year option on Daniel Jones. you got to celebrate that as like, wow, this is great. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to me because the New York Jets, in comparison to the Giants, Giants going inside out, Jets going outside in. And I was surprised by that, by the New York Jets brass. I mean, Joe Douglas comes over from the Philadelphia Eagles front office. Robert Sala, we know his history with pass rush. And Douglas has been an offensive line guy. He always loves those trenches. And the fact that he passed on all the offensive linemen, he even passed on Kayvon Thibodeau, a guy that they were linked to quite a bit throughout the draft process, that surprised me a little bit. And Sauce Gardner, people love him. But for corners to go three and four, I thought it was a little surprising based off of the old linemen that were available on the board at the time. You know, me and me, me too. I like if I would have been to me, if I were Joe Douglas, I would have taken a defensive lineman and an offensive lineman. And I would have just said, okay, for us to beat Buffalo, we got to get, we got to get Josh Allen on the ground. Look, Mm -hmm. I love receivers as much. Now he took a, you know, he took obviously the edge guy at the bottom of the first, you know, so, you know, that gives him a chance to maybe Jermaine Johnson, who they had in the top 10. So we moved up to get him. But to me, you know, if you get, and if you get Thibodeau, and then if you get Thibodeau, and then if you come back and take, you know, take another offensive lineman, and now you fix your right tackle position. You know, at, at 10, well, I don't think there would have been one there. The problem was yeah. with Garrett, with Cross gone, the offensive line was kind of, kind of, des- you know, so, but you could have started out by taking an offensive lineman 
and then yeah. come back and take, you know, take to me, it's, it was about fixing the two lines. And I think I would have done that more than what they ended up doing. They might get good players. I have a hard time understanding how Seattle takes Richard Sherman in the fifth, fifth round overall. San Francisco's really never invested high, high picks of top three pick in the, they, you know, Salah came from an organization that put all their resources in the defensive line. Mm-hmm. And that's why they went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and, and guess what the 49ers did with their first pick in the second round? They took another pass rusher, Drake Jackson out of USC. Like, the 49ers have this build of just keep swinging at these rushers to get the quarterbacks down, and Sala coming from that, it was a surprising that he deviated from that path and went with Ahmad Sauce Gardner. Now, Sauce Gardner could turn into an all-pro, but just based off of Sala's identity and what their philosophy has been, where he came from, it felt like he would go pass rush the Eagles, I thought, was another interesting draft because they drafted our favorite player, Jordan Davis, there with the 13th overall pick, the guy that people thought that maybe he's just a nose tackle. The Eagles clearly saw more. You know, that they did, and I think what they saw was somebody that they could line up next to Fletcher Cox, line up next to, next to uh, Javon Hargrave, who was outstanding, right? And they still got the kid they drafted in the third round, Milton, uh, I think Milton Johnson is that his, yeah, just check. Yeah. You know, they still have him over there at left in inside. So, you know, to me, the Eagles went to the Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl in 2017 <clears throat> because of their defensive front. Milton Williams, the kid's name is. Mm-hmm. So they they, 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 know, they did that. They won that because of that. And I think they went back to that. They get Dean, which was a great get for them in the third round. But Dean, I'm told, has a torn peck by some teams. Now, I don't quite understand this because torn pecs are kind of like being pregnant. You either are or you're not, right? You either have a tour or you don't, you know, and so you either got to repair it or you don't. And so obviously a lot of teams had Dean off their board at some point because you can repair it. He's going to come back and play. He just might not play next year. So what? Right? So what? If you got a really good player and you wait a year, what do you care for? Yeah, I and mean, especially in the second and third rounds, because I was watching on Friday and I even tweeted, I was like, man, like Nicobe Dean's medicals must be like resemblance of a middle-aged man. Like, why is he falling this far down the board? And there was reports that were coming out in the broadcast saying that, okay, it's this, he didn't get surgery and teams are concerned about the fact that he didn't get any surgery, which is a curious decision. The fact that he didn't get surgery, maybe that would have put him out for even longer. He thinks that he can play through this thing and it can heal naturally. But Dean was arguably the best player on one of the best defenses we've ever seen in college football. No doubt. And, and you know, they got a hell of a value in the third round. And, and so he misses a year. You know, let's put this in perspective. How much playtime do these guys get? I mean, everybody thinks they're winning the Super Bowl today. You know, everybody thinks they got the best team in the league. They're going to win the Super Bowl. But most of these rookies aren't going to make any immediate impact on the team. You know, mm-hmm. most of them won't. Most of them will learn what to do. I mean, there's not going to be very many Makai Parsons that come in the league like he did. They're going to contribute. Their next year, the 2023 year, is going to be the year they got to take the huge leap. You know, and so that's where you'll see the jump. But you know, so like, why not wait a year? If you can get a player like Dean in the third round, to me, it was a good value. Let's stay in Pennsylvania. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they had the headline pick of the first round with Kenny Pickett, number 20. He falls all the way to them. They get the Pitt alum staying in Pittsburgh. But after that Pickett selection, I thought they made a pretty some pretty good picks with the wide receivers. George Pickens out of Georgia, Calvin Austin out of Memphis there. It was Kevin Colbert's last ride as a general manager. He was a little emotional giving his uh, post-draft press conference, but I thought Kevin Colbert left this organization in a pretty good spot with this 2022 draft. You know, I mean, Kevin always does a good job, and I think Kevin doesn't – last year he took a lot of crap for taking Nigel Harris. And so, look, he's taking a chance on, on Pickett. You know, he, he comes in there, the guy's got, certainly he's got uh, the ability to to do a lot of things, whether he's a starter. I don't see him as a starter. Kevin saw him as a starter. That's that's obviously where he goes. Uh, I, I don't particularly think that's going to last. But, you know, with Trubisky there, I do think that the way Pickett plays, the way Pickett understands football, I think he'll pick it up. Rather, he'll compete, I think, in his rookie year. He's ready to compete right now. He'll learn the protections. He'll be able to compete. And if Trubisky turns the ball over, I could see them making that move. Long run, I don't. But I have great respect for Kevin, and I think Kevin does a great job. He had a wonderful career there. I've known Kevin since the day I met him at at Baylor University in 1985. We were both working out a player down there. And so he's always been a diligent, hard worker. And he understands the art of team building. And, I mean, they've done a good job of fixing their receiver room with their coaching. They develop players. You know, what's, what happened? Uh, 
Fem, what happened with I thought I thought Mike Tomlin loved Malik Malik Willis. I thought he loved him. <laughs> they went to dinner together in Mobile, Alabama. I mean, we were, we were led I to mean, we were led to believe there were two peas in a pod. <laughs> I thought they loved him. <laughs> they must you not, know they must have loved Pickett a little bit more. <laughs> obviously, you know, and then you know they then 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 I was told they love Curtis Strong and they take us the, the South Dakota quarterback in the last pick of the round of the seventh round. So. You know, I, I think should we all remind ourselves next year when we do the pod, don't believe anything come draft time. Like, don't believe anything. Look, we thought Thibodeau. Thibodeau, it's interesting. Thibodeau yeah. was telling everybody. And everybody at Circa, he had a draft party at Circa. He was telling everybody he was going to Detroit. He was convinced he was going to Detroit. Mm-hmm. He was so convinced he was going to Detroit. You know, it was like fait accompli. There's no doubt. And, and what happened? Detroit took all of about a minute to turn the Hutchinson card in. <laughs> We were doing the broadcast together, and I was like looking down. I was like, "Oh, the pick is already in," and it was we wasted it was no Hutchinson. time at all. Like about a minute and a half, I think, to make that decision. Yeah, I mean, they made it was like it was none of it, you know. And and so it, it just to me is, I think to me, it's a commentary on nobody really, nobody's. It's too high stakes poker to let information out. You can't really afford to do it. You, you really can't. So you just have to be able to just block everything out and really focus on what you think the team's going to do in January and don't let the noise bother you in, in, in April. Which draft did you not like? I mean, you mentioned Atlanta, their process of the team building. They go with Drake London. They're another pass catcher in the top 10. But was there another team that you didn't like? Because I have a team in mind. Go ahead. You go. I, you know, I'm a Justin Fields fan, and I was hoping the Chicago Bears – would surround him with some offensive linemen, maybe some wide receivers, and they eventually took a wide receiver. But there are two picks in the second round. You get Kyler Gordon, who's – I'm a Washington Husky fan. I watched Kyler Gordon play quite a bit. He's really athletic. I question some of his instincts at cornerback, but super athletic, has a high ceiling. And then they take the Penn State guy, Jaquan Briscoe, another really good athlete out of Penn State. But I wanted to see him get a no lineman. I mean, I don't see how Fields is going to be protected. The receiver they drafted, Velas Jones, I think he might be signing up for an AARP card soon there, 25 <laughs> years old before the year even starts. Like, I, I thought the, the, the first draft year for Ryan Poles out of Chicago, questionable at best, in my opinion. Well, I mean, again, you know, we're talking about offense and defense alignment. He don't take any of them. You know, he's got he's going to come back with Tevon Jenkins at left tackle. Can he do it? White hair at left guard. You know, they signed Lucas Patrick from Green Bay. I mean, Dakota Dozer from from Minnesota, and then they got the kid they drafted in the fifth round. Bro, I mean, th- this is could be one of the worst offensive lines in football. It could yeah. improve. It could improve with coaching, but you're right. I mean, it's it's not necessarily. And then defensive line, right? So the key to their team was Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack, mm-hmm. right? Now Robert Quinn was sensational last year. There's no denying that. Yep. But where are they going to where, where are they going to where are they going to get it? It's going to put a lot of pressure on the coordinator to to help it. I mean, they are they going to be able to handle the run with Justin Jones and Tonga inside and Blackson? I mean, these guys are they good enough? We'll see. I agree with you. I think to me, it gets away from the art of team building. You, you know the one, t- mm-hmm. the pick that I thought was hilarious. We talked about this on the Lombardi line. I didn't think it was hilarious. I think it was a reflection of the 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 the, the NFC North, right? So you know, Cincinnati has all the talk went to Jamar Chase, right? Yep. Great player, all that. But really, at the end of the day, Chase was fabulous and he made all the plays. But the guy that really got him over the top was Evan McPherson. He didn't miss a kick. He was dynamic and he was automatic, right? And and come playoff time, he was he truly was Mariana Rivera. He was closing shit out, right? <laughs> yeah. And so you're 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 the Cleveland Browns. You missed six field goals last year inside of the 40-yard line. And you got to play McPherson and you got to play the great Justin Tucker who don't miss. They don't miss, right? And so what do you got to do? You, you, and you got a guy that you know misses. So you go ahead and spend a fourth-round pick, which I think is the right pick, on Cade York. Now, some people say the difference between a great kicker and a good kicker analytically in the NFL is one missed kick or two, mm-hmm. probably. But when you're in Cleveland, Ohio, and you're kicking with a wind swirling where it's a problem and you miss six kicks inside of the inside of 50-yard line, you may, he, he made every kick. McLaughlin made every kick outside of 50. He missed six inside of 40 to 49. You have to improve. We'll see if York can do it. A Southern kid, but so was McPherson. He was from yeah. Florida. 
And he and you know, and he was able to kick in Cincinnati effectively. I think that's a significant. Now you talk about a guy who can make a difference on the team. There's the guy. And, and you think about, I mean, Justin Tucker is a Texas guy too. Like he played in Texas, and somehow those guys have adapted to that AFC North climate. We'll see if Kade York can do the same. There were a lot of trades that we saw after the top 10 of the draft. On the other side, we'll talk about all the wheeling and dealing we saw over the three days of the 2022 NFL draft. Uh, Michael, I'm just, you know, we got all the monitors here in our studio where we're taping this podcast. And Great studio, by the way. Fantastic. I mean, how nice is, it is that Circa one? Holy heck, that's, you know, you know when you got Mitch and Pauly, that, I mean, that's like top shelf there. I this mean, is, wow. This is the Derek, real deal. Derek Stevens did a hell of a job there. <laughs> it is absolutely the wow. real deal. We I mean, the sports book in the background. It is awesome. Hey, there's nothing like the sports book down there. I mean, that that is really, I mean, Stadium Swim is very, very interesting. There's no denying it. Uh, you know, you know. <laughs> What shocks me is how people just go, I mean, $350 for a bottle of Stoli and nobody blinks an eye. Like there's three bottles coming out. Like it's amazing the party time they have down there. But um, yeah, that, that, that is incredible. If you, if you ever go to Vegas and you're a sports fan, you got to go yes. to the Circa and watch games there. It is it's absolutely. amazing. Absolutely a bucket list type of experience here for any sort of sports fan or even a fan. If you just like a good party, you mentioned Stadium Swim, cost of doing business up there, it is well worth the price of admission. But with the monitors that we have in the studio, we had one of the daytime talk shows in the sports world on there. And they were asking the question, is Bill Belichick losing his touch in New England? And I couldn't help but laugh just seeing that on the Chiron. Yeah, well, I mean, that's going to be like, okay, Skip, I'm sure, has watched no college. I mean, he's watched, he's evaluated no players. Like a buddy of mine who's a Patriot fan calls me up and says, we had a shitty draft. I said, how many of those players did you watch? I didn't watch any of them. But I, everybody says it's shitty. Like, how do you know? Like, like this is what happens, a narrative. You think Skip watched, you know, Cole Strang at Texas Tech? No, of course he Hell didn't. No. You think Shannon did? Of course he didn't. Of course. You know, and now they're going to question a guy's losing his touch who's won six Super Bowls. You know, I was talking about this on air. You know, his whole process is like – like when that Les Snead conversation was going on and Les was making fun of the pick, or if mm -hmm. they think he was, but maybe he wasn't. I, there's some debate here now. You know, I mean, like, I promise you, Belichick's written up more players in the last year than probably most directors have written up over the last five years. Like, he writes up every player. Like, he grades every single player, writes them up in the computer, goes through. Like, he'll start, what's today, Monday? Yep. My sense of it is he will start probably Wednesday. He'll start working on the... Big 12, and he'll start going through all the players in the Big 12. He'll start with a team, let's say Oklahoma, and he'll watch Oklahoma's offense against all the Big 12 defensive players, and he'll watch both sides. Take him a while, but he'll watch both sides. Then he'll go to another tape and watch both sides, continuing with Oklahoma offense, right? Mm -hmm. And then he'll watch that, and he'll continue with Oklahoma until he gets through six tapes of Oklahoma's offense against this. So now he's got a sense of what's going on defensively, and he knows all the Oklahoma offensive players. Okay, writes them up. Now he goes and he continues. Now we'll go to maybe he goes to Oklahoma. He'll go to Nebraska. He'll go to Texas Tech D offense. So now he knows their offense against the same teams that he was watching against Oklahoma. So he'll do that. It'll take him about 10 days to go through the whole Big 12, right? He'll do every team mm -hmm. and he'll write up all the players. So then he has a really good idea on the conference. Two weeks. Then he'll go to the Pac 12. Do the same thing. Then he'll go to the then he'll go to the ACC. Do the same thing. He'll leave the Southeast Conference alone because it takes too long. You got to need a month to go through that because there's too yeah. many good teams, you know. And so, but but all through it. So by the time he goes to Nantucket in the summertime, he's probably written up 500 players. Wow. So like like it, it's not like I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying the, he's putting the work in. The process is mm -hmm. there. So if the process, so if you're gonna say he's losing it then understand how he does it, right? You got to understand how he does it. Do you, if you could argue that you don't like the pick, if you put as much time in on evaluating the pick, like Mel doesn't like the pick. Okay, Mel, watch the guy. He doesn't like the pick. That's fine. He's yeah. entitled to his opinion. That means he's right. Why is Mel right and Belichick not? That's a good question. And, and, and it sounds like a grueling process, honestly, like to go – through one conference after two weeks and then to continue to do that, that is a grueling process, but that's kind of a peek behind the, the curtains of what it's like to be an NFL evaluator and an NFL general manager, someone who makes these sorts of decisions. The draft is something that 2023, they're already working on it now. And it's hard to yeah. even believe Like we're catching our breath, just recapping 2022, but these front offices, these college scouting they're directors, start working on it right or, now. Yeah. They're already they're working on 2023 right now.
And when you're watching 22 tape, you're seeing a guy, oh my God, look at that guy from here. Yep. Like, I'll tell you a guy we screwed up on. Like, he and I were doing, when I was there, this is what we would do every, we would start this May, and this is what we would do. And we were watching, te- we were in the Big 12 watching Texas. And there was this running back from UTEP, and he was unbelievable, running away from everybody. He had a bing, but a boom. He was doing everything, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is really a good player. And he wasn't even on the – but because we were doing Texas defense, he showed up. So you kind of – you write the report up on him. His name's Aaron Jones. Wow. Then, and he's only a sophomore. He's only a sophomore when we're watching him. He had a long, like 100 – like he had a 70-yard run against Texas. So you run – but then he loses – and he gets hurt. And then I left, and they didn't get back on him. Like they kind of – he kind of slipped through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And he goes in the fifth round. I can remember I was doing a, I was doing my pod with Tate Frazier, and I'm like, who's the who, – Aaron Jones is the best player in the fifth. Not even close. Wow. And it, tr- it turned out to be true. Because, yeah, exactly see, when you player. start doing the – when you do the conferences, when you do the conferences, you learn every player from freshman to senior. Like, if I went back into the NFL, I would treat – I would take 60 schools and treat them like pro schools. I would make sure the scouts had 10 schools. They wrote up every player at those 10 schools, 12 schools, 15 schools, from freshman to the senior. So you have a long-standing report. You have a freshman mm-hmm. report, just like they're a pro player, and you're seeing they're getting better. Are they tra- And then you're you able to monitor it. If you just do it hit and miss, come in, okay, you don't really understand the history of what the players developed yeah. into. Yeah, that's that context that's needed when evaluating a player over the course of their college career. You can't just show up in their final year of eligibility and be like, okay, hey, let's watch this player. Um, The draft I thought was interesting Thursday night. We were doing the broadcast, and I asked you, I was like, hey, are we going to see some trades? And and you were like, well, I mean, these teams, they might not want to come up for these players because this is not – a blue chip type of draft. This is a draft where you're looking to hit some doubles and just round out your roster. And through the top 10, that's kind of how things held serve. But then after that top 10, all hell broke loose. We saw a number of trades, trades for veteran wide receivers. We saw trades, teams moving up for certain draft picks. Were there any trades where it was Thursday or maybe even Friday that really stood out to you? And we can kind of go from there. You know, I thought the Minnesota trade was strange. If you run the chart, mm-hmm. I think they got the value, but it was a, to me in this draft, it was a long way to go from 12 to 32. Like I felt like that was a long like that removed you from a lot of players. So, but obviously his board in Minnesota was such that it he didn't really see Jamison Williams as a 60 a 67. Say he has Jamison Williams rated a 70 player on his board mm-hmm. and he trades away from a 70 which is a, which is an above the line starter, elite starter. Right, so he trades away from that. It goes all the way down to 32. He knows he's getting at 32, he's going to get a potential starter. He knows he's going to get a potential starter. So by doing that, you know, now all of a sudden he, he he's, he's knows he's losing. So the value of the trade has to make up for that. And I don't think it did. That's why typically when you see 20 moves down, it always involves a next year's one because next year is so is such that you feel like it'll justify it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a strange trade. I really did. I, 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 that one I wasn't sure of. We'll see if it works out. I, I didn't. I think what happened was once the corners went – went there. There was only one corner left. Why can't see traded up to get him? Yeah. And then once the receiver went, there became and then there went receiver back to back. Everybody panicked. Because that's why, you know, everybody went nuts on our broadcast and, you know, after we got off the air when Green Bay didn't take a receiver, everybody <laughs> went crazy. How could they not take a receiver? Well there was nobody left. Yeah, what they want them to out. do. Yeah. And it's it's interesting how this comes together for the Minnesota Vikings. Is this something that they had worked out prior to the draft with Detroit, or is it a panic phone call? Because based on the compensation they got back, it seemed like it was a panic phone call of, oh, crap, we don't like anybody on the board. Let's bail. Yeah, I, I don't think – I think they got to the point where once – I think they wanted something that wasn't there. I, and it obviously wasn't a receiver. It could have been a corner. Mm-hmm. It could have been an offensive tackle. You know, it could have been anything. But once, to me, what, what happened there was their, their level of first of, of an upper echelon based on the pick, based on the value of that pick, didn't match the player they had graded on the board. So they traded back to the cluster where it was more, where they had more players that fit what they did. Whether that's the right decision or not, that remains to be seen. Yeah. The, to go from 12 to 32 while having to also give up a second-round pick, that doesn't compute in my head. I'm like, this should have been a first-round pick for the yeah. Vikings, but 
Uh, clearly, that's what I thought, right? They were desperate. I mean, that's the only explanation I can come up with is that they were absolutely desperate. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. And but you know, look that the, they all, when you do the numbers on the trade value chart, it kind of it works out. But to that's me, surprising. you're taking yourself out of so many players. But again. I don't know Minnesota's board. So they may not have had enough players graded up there to justify 12. And so they basically took that. We'll see if it works out. You know, when you make these trades, well, nobody does this, but when you make these trades, you have to put the players' names in after the trade. Mm-hmm. You're not really trading picks. You're trading players. Nobody does this, right? <laughs> so, you know, like I would wish the broadcast would say, okay, you know, the Jets traded into the first round to get John, they get the, the rusher from Florida State. And this is what it cost them. This is the cost effect of it. You know, it, it cost them this player and that player. That's the trade. It isn't the players become a, the, the, the picks become players. We never focus on that. The Raiders got three number ones for Khalil Mack. They got nobody for Khalil Mack. They, tra- they gave away Khalil Mack. They gave him away. Yeah. Were the Arizona Cardinals, were they desperate for a wide receiver? Is that what sparked the Hollywood Brown trade? I think they're desperate to recreate uh, lollipop land. I mean, what else can you do? I mean, like, seriously, how many more little guys can you get? I thought Isabella was supposed to be the guy, right? I thought he was supposed to be, you know, the, the, the guy that comes in and fits for them at five five oh eight six. He comes in. Okay, so you got Isabella at 5086. You got Rondell Moore, who looked last year like he could be a good player at 5'9". Mm-hmm. So now you add Hollywood, who, you know, Hollywood's been a good player, but Hollywood's not like – you, you, to me, his catch radius is small. Yeah, his route radius isn't great. Now, I know they played together at Oklahoma, but that doesn't mean anything. It means like, what are we going to do? What are we going to run? It'll be interesting. I, I don't know who their competition was for Marquise Brown at the first pick at, at a first round pick. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, that, it's it's an interesting offense. DeAndre Hopkins is still out there. They got some. It'd make for a pretty decent seven on seven team. I can tell you that. If they, oh my God, Kyler I mean, Murray and all those I mean, little that, receivers. That, you you kind of want to sing lollipop land. I mean, you want them to go dancing <laughs> around. You know, you got the mayor coming out and he'll hold the decree out there like this and say, "Okay, here we go." I mean, AJ Green. I thought he was. I didn't think he had any juice left in him. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think he had any juice. You know. So I think when you have a little quarterback, you need big receivers. Like one thing about. One thing about A.J. Brown going to Philly, I mean, he's great at yards after the catch. And so you're running mm-hmm. those RPO stuff, the Oklahoma offense at Philly, you know, you're going to get, you got to get him the ball on the move. Now, can Hertz get him the ball on the move in timing, in rhythm, in the right spot so he can keep running it? That remains to be seen, but it fits the concept. Do you think this is an open evaluation for Jalen Hurts or is Howie Roseman essentially building a roster for the next quarterback? I think he's doing the right thing. He's building a team around the quarterback that he has currently, understanding that he needs more data to truly evaluate. He has to know that when it becomes a passing game, Hurts can't do it. He, he has to know that by now. He can convince himself otherwise, but it just doesn't. It didn't happen in college, and it's not happening here. When you force him to throw, I mean, to me, Jalen Hurts is the Rudy Gobert of the league. You know, he can play during the regular season, but once he goes postseason, he doesn't have anything. He, he, he can take it out of the game, right? I mean, yeah. that's what it is. I mean, Hertz is Rudy Gobert. Great season, you know, running the ball, doing all these things. But when it becomes a passing game and I got to throw it in the playoffs to win, I can't do it. Rudy Gobert, I mean, what are you going to do with him? He did, it, Come playoff time, he doesn't do anything for your team. Yeah, he, he gets attacked come playoff time. Um, but Hertz, they've surrounded him with so many weapons. I mean, you're talking about A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, last year's first-round pick, Dallas Goddard, one of the better tight ends in the league. They have a really good offensive line. They got some good running backs led by Miles Sanders. Like, this is an offense that is ready-made, and I don't want to say this is like a make-or-break year for Jalen Hurts in the NFL by any means, because I think he's established himself as an NFL-caliber player, but if he doesn't get it done this year for the Eagles, there's likely going to be a 2023 draft-class quarterback that will be on that team next year. You know, I think this, to me, if you want to bet the Eagles over total, I think it's nine and a half or nine. The one thing you, you do when you bet overs, you got to make sure they have a backup quarterback. Because mm-hmm. if you're down to this, and if they go to Minshew instead of Hurts, I don't think they lose anything. I don't think they would lose anything. So I would lean towards the over here. I think they've improved themselves. Now, defensively, are they going to be good enough at corner? Remains to be seen, right? Are they going to be able to stop and affect the passer the way they played defense last year, especially when they played against really good passers, whether it was Brady twice, whether it was you know Matthew Stafford, was those guys they struggled. They really struggled. If their rush couldn't get there, they struggled defensively. So 
But I like it. I, I look. I, 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 you have to know, Femi, that if it's a passing game and we're and we got to rely on him drop back throwing from the pocket. You know, look, the Eagles want to throw the football, and they settled to run the ball because that's what Hurts can do. Eventually, they're going to get somebody in there that can throw it. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to that's going to be after the situation for the Philadelphia Eagles who look like they're going to challenge the Dallas Cowboys to win the division. What do you think about my Cowboys draft there? I mean, Tyler Smith out of Tulsa sounds like he's a little raw, but he's got some athleticism. Yeah, I mean, what what they say that he he's going to lead the league in holding. I mean, yeah, you know, I like say, I, I didn't like that when I heard I that did. about him. Well, I mean, look, you got to count for coaching, right? You know, put mittens mm-hmm. on him. You know, how do you stop an offensive lineman from holding? You know, basically, you know those mittens you take stuff out of the, out of the refrigerator, out of the oven with. Put them on. You know, they put mittens there, and then they can't hold. So you got, you know, you, you, there's still an element of teaching here that goes into it. You know, so I don't know Tolbert, the receiver they drafted, but look, the Cowboys. Mm. It's all going to. To me, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you got to say to yourself, we got to get more out of Zeke because Tony Pollard's really good. Tony Pollard yeah. runs. Re, Tony Pollard reminds me. That's then he's not as good a player, but he reminds me of Gale Sayers the way he runs. Everybody thinks Gale Sayers was this loose play hips. Gale Sayers was a slasher, fly fast, get on an edge, nobody could get him, and that's what Pollard looks like to me. Yeah, if, if Zeke can get right, I mean that's a pretty good tandem in the backfield with Pollard and Zeke. But I mean the. Based off of what they've lost this offseason, I'm not super optimistic about Dallas heading into 2022, but they've surprised me in the past, and I'm hoping they can do so again here in 2022. Let's take one more quick break, and on the other side, I want to ask you some fun questions about what we saw this weekend in the NFL Draft. All right, Michael, the NFL Draft has come and gone, but it was a spectacle here in Las Vegas, not only Mm -hmm. at the draft experience, but also on television. You've mentioned the draft broadcast from an analysis standpoint, but what did you make of Friday and Saturday? I mean, we saw the Blue Man Group. I thought we were going to see your boy Michael Buble <laughs> announce a draft pick as well. I mean, there was all sorts of bells and whistles out here in Sin City. I mean, they had Sebastian Maniscalco up on the stage. They didn't <laughs> let the guy talk. I mean, he's the funniest guy in the world, and they don't even let him talk. He's up there looking good. He had a, he had two shows that night at seven and ten over at the at the Wind. I mean, they didn't even get a chance to talk. And then you got Ed Ed. I call him Marinara, but I think yes. I pronounced his name wrong. I mean, then he then he thinks it's all about him. Like who? You know, like seriously, you're you're there to help the kid. The kid just got the time of his life, and you're going to start going in a monologue about you know uh, uh, about your TV career and your NFL. Oh, come here. Come on. That's ridiculous. But- he, he was out of control. I was watching. I was like, what is this guy doing? The fact that they had to come on and say, hey, man, read the card. Like, like, like we got to get this show going along. I, I, I would be embarrassed if I was that guy. Wouldn't you yeah. be embarrassed? Like, like, like you're, you, this isn't about you. It's about, it's about the, the kid. Like, you're up there. Nobody cares where you bought your purple coat. Like, nobody cares about that. Like, seriously. It was suede, like, I believe. Why, why does it have to be about you? You know, why does it have to be about you? Like, make it about the kid. This is his moment of his lifetime, yeah. you know? And and nobody wants to hear the tale of your career. Like, there's a time and place for that. I mean, when you're the guest speaker somewhere, share it, but not now. That thought was horrible. I mean, it was really, like, seriously, he should be embarrassed. No, it, it is disappointing that You know what, though? Guys like this. that don't get embarrassed. Guys yeah. like that don't get embarrassed. <laughs> there's no way he's embarrassed. He's walking around saying, I killed that thing right there. Like, it's yeah. now, now the world knows my name. I, got, I gained 10 Twitter followers. <laughs> I'm so damn happy. Because <laughs> Drew Pearson did it way back in the day when the draft was in Philadelphia, I believe it was, when he was rubbing it in, like, five-time world champion Dallas Cowboys. And, like, that I thought was good nature rubbing because – it was in it was in direction of the Eagle fans out there because of the Cowboys Eagles rivalry. But ever since then, now it has opened the floodgates for any crazy person to go there and just say God knows what before they announce the draft pick. Yeah, I mean it's just, I mean you would think they it's like now it becomes the Academy Awards. We got to deal with these people that that are going up there and they think it's your whole whole time. Like seriously, it's not your time. Yeah, no, it, it is it is not their time at all. But uh, it's. Part of the NFL draft. Hopefully they can just keep it to Saturday one of these years. But Friday, it's gone off the rails. We have jumped the shark. Uh, are you watching anything these days? I know I, I was I was watching no, last night. I was I watching wa- uh, Winning Time. Have you have you caught the, the Lakers uh, dynasty thing that. on HBO? I, I did not watch it last night. Okay. I'm in love with it. I mean, Jer- I mean the way they look. There's a lot of stories about to me the what they've done to Jerry West. Now what they're doing to Riley. I don't know what the hell Riley how it was last night, but. 
to me, this they, they've taken a lot of liberties on this thing that really make people look at in the worst possible way yeah. without it. You know, like if they wanted to do this, they should have kind of changed the names a little bit to protect some of it. But, but wow. It, it, I mean, it's entertaining. I'm enjoying it. I like the way they I like the way they've shot it in the sense that you feel like you're still in the 70s. Mm-hmm. No, that I think is very cool. And like the, how they break the fourth wall, I think, is really an interesting way to produce a television show because it's it's just different. It's different than when yeah. you normally get there with the characters staying in character and not talking to the camera or anything like that. Um, last night's I episode, yeah, I'll say I mean, it's when, the, when Ferris Bueller did that, when Ferris, I yes. love that. That was the yep. best. Yeah, yeah. Ferris Bueller does it in Ferris, Ferris Bueller's day off. Um, last night's episode, there's a lot of Riley and Westhead and it's more of like, we're going through the playoffs. I won't give you any spoilers there, but uh, I was watching that last night. But next week, I'm going to get myself caught up on The Sopranos, though. The draft is over. Good job. All we, yeah. all we, we have is – got to get it. We got to get it, Fema. We're, 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 getting, we're getting caught up. We have the draft over now. We have the NBA playoffs going on, but we, now we have some days off in the NBA playoffs. So we're, we're going to get caught up on The Sopranos. Sopranos in 60 will return, but Sixers in 60. You feeling good? Game one tonight in South Beach. No. <laughs> no, no, you know I don't feel good about it. You know how that goes. You watch you watch the Sixer game with me. You know, I was I yep. was convinced they were gonna lose Thursday night. They're only they were down by one in the end of the first half. And I don't know where that third quarter came, but you know, this is like to me, this is the perfect example of what I complain about with Doc. I, I, Doc Rivers is a Hall of Fame coach, right? Mm-hmm. So he's got all these credentials, he's won a title. But part of coaching is player development, right? And so you say, well, it's unfortunate about Embiid, right? The, the unfortunate things happen. You've got to develop your team from within. So now he's got two rookies, Bassey and Reed, basically young players that he's given no minutes to during the regular season because he was too busy playing DeAndre Jordan. We got to get him signed. You know, we'll play Millsap as opposed to trying to play a guy. You know, Walsh used to say all the time, I will play, I will, I would rather lose a game in September playing a young player to win a game in January. Mm-hmm. He was thinking for because he was all about the but now, now he needs one of these two young players to come through for him, and they have no minutes. He's done nothing to help him. He said, Well, I gotta win, I gotta win. Yeah, you can win, but you can also develop. There's a fine line. And if you're not willing to kind of de- develop a talent, to me, that's the biggest knock on Doc is everybody can coach Garnett, you know, uh, you know, Ray Allen and Paul Pierce. I mean, that's like, mm-hmm. seriously, that's the mark. The mark is who have you developed? Any young coach listening to this podcast, it's not about how much you know scheme. It's about who you develop. What players can you develop? Who have you made better today, tomorrow, and the next day? That's, it's player development. That's how you endear yourself to players. That's why players love you. And I think that wraps up and wraps a nice little bow back to the NFL draft because once you get drafted, the work is not done. The teams have to develop these guys to have a very good organization. That does it for the show here, Michael. We'll be doing another one, though, Thursday. So we're doing another double up this week. Then we'll be back to our regular every Thursday, every week here in the offseason. But always good chatting with you. It's always a pleasure. Um, thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to VSIN. Thank you to our producer, Stephen Bond. Thank you to all our listeners to subscribe, rate, and review. As always, Michael, I'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks, Femi. Thank you, Stephen Bond.